with breaking news and political commentary from a public servant, serial entrepreneur, community leader, philanthropist, and American patriot, and a darn nice guy. It's time for the Grassroots Truthcast and your host, Gene Valentino. Hi, folks, and welcome to another edition of Gene Valentino's Grassroots Truthcast. Thank you for joining us. Gene Valentino here with a very interesting guest that I've uh, just asked to come on our show today. It's Peter Bolton. Peter Bolton is an individual who has come from a family of government service, and a lot of military and uh, uh, support and time spent by his family in serving this nation. He's also an entrepreneur, came out of the insurance industry and down from New England and Jersey and ended up for some crazy reason as a neighbor here in Pensacola. And we're going to have a pretty interesting conversation today. He's written a book, and that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. The book's entitled Deo e Patria, Deo e Patre of God and Country, a book that challenges you to determine fact from fiction, right from wrong, government oppression, oversight, and control of your right to free speech, your right, your right to public access, your right to contribute to this nation, which has been built for centuries on principles, and not personalities, but principles. And that's what we're going to have a discussion about. The question I challenge you to consider, and we're going to post contact information for you as well, the, the, the issue I'd like you to consider is trying to sift through fact from fiction. Welcome, Peter Buckley. Thank you, Jim. Peter Bol Bolton, excuse me. I have a friend named Peter Buckley. Peter Bolton, um, tell us about yourself in a few words. Well, I've spent the last 30 years as, a, as an independent financial advisor and insurance broker. So that kind of doesn't mix in with what I'm doing here today. But myself, like, like many Americans, have, have seen what's happened in recent years with our country. And following the huge debacle in the 2016 election, that's really what triggered me. The false accusations about Russian collusion and the, the unbelievable attempts to keep President Trump out of office. So with, with my background as, as a researcher on, on the personal side, not professional, and, and a huge reader and studier of history and the military, I decided to put together a storyline, a fictional storyline. That's a, it's, it's historical fiction, but you have to realize historical fiction is what has happened as well as what just happened. Do you think you're doing this just because you've reached a time in your life like me where I have time to do podcasts and you have time to write a book? Or is, are we reacting? I, I know my answer. Or are we reacting to the condition of the times of today? What do you think is going on in our nation? For me personally, it was a reaction. There's no doubt. A reaction to? A reaction to an oppressive state that has grown continually more oppressive since, I would say, the Patriot Act, but most significantly since 2008 and that election. I have friends in the intelligence agencies, and I am 
amazed with our conversation. I've had several conversations with Peter before bringing him on, on the program today. I'm, let me just put it to you this way. I'm stunned with the parallels of the fictional characters and the events mm-hmm. that you've described as it relates to the reality of what's going on with what I would call deep state oversight, control, and suppression of today's American citizen. Comment. You've hit the nail on the head. Uh, there's no doubt there. The, the concept that I, I came up with following the election, and it took me some months to, to come to terms with what I wanted to do and how I wanted to go about it. Some of my favorite authors go to Tom Clancy, who writes very intricate, detailed accounts of people protecting and defending the citizens of the United States and our country from, from threats, both foreign and domestic. I also really like the historical fiction styles of, of Leon Uris and James Mishner. And they, reading their historical fiction often will give you more historical information and teach you more about what's happened in the past than going to a history class where, if, if you can find a history class these days. So many of these people, and therefore the material for these authors, including yourself, comes out of reality. It's amazing how many people are coming forward, specifically whistleblowers, your age and mine, that are now stepping up and saying, hey, we, we need to get this out there. Is it too little too late? Is writing a book like what you've revealed, I'll get to the book in a minute, folks, but is what you've written about too late? I mean, is the house already burned down or are you, or are you late to the fire? There's a fire and a response needed, but we're not going to be putting out foundations. Uh, there's still hope and chance, and that's a, a chance for reversing some of what we're experiencing. The problem is, in, in my estimation, is that the average American and the average government employee are so entrenched in the bubble of their profession, their career, and their work that they often don't get to dig deeper than what is presented on the surface, both through newscasts, through social media. And now, as we're finding through the investigations, particularly the case in Missouri versus the Biden administration on censorship, we're finding that these sources are all completely manipulated. Many have suspected that for a long time, but now it's confirmed. When you have the CIA and the FBI actually housing themselves in Google, in Facebook, in Twitter, and manipulating material, censoring um, trains of thought that don't agree with the government narrative. That becomes scary stuff. Most of it's superficial to the general population, but people are waking up, and that's the first step is waking up. I'm going to be referring to this a few times in our one-hour conversation. How threatened were we by... Donald Trump versus Obama. We being who? We, the Americans. We Americans. Donald Trump was a threat to the entrenched, as we call it now, the deep state. There's a bureaucratic state that exists in Washington, D.C., within the Beltway, and a significant portion of that deep state is made up of people 
that you would call SES employees of the U.S. government. SES? Yes, the Senior Executive Service, which is a level in government employee that gets you to the highest levels of compensation. It also gives you the highest levels of power within the bureaucracy, and it makes you virtually impossible to fire. Hmm. President Trump had made a, an attempt to change the rules regarding SES employment within the U.S. government so that, in fact, he would be able to fire people. As his famous words were, you're fired. He wanted to employ that within the government for non-performers or people who, in fact, were injuring us. And the bureaucracy didn't allow him to implement that plan. And obviously, these were motivations for you to consider writing a book. Tell us more specifically about the book. My, my story involves a, an intelligence agency created at just before 2008's election. And that intelligence agency takes up various issues and threats to the country and to our, our people around the world and resolves them independently. They work without government oversight. They have Title 10 and Title 50 authorities, both on the military and intelligence side, and they operate independent. They're not part of the CIA. They're not part of JSOC, although people from the CIA and Joint Special Operations Command do work there. You talk, the terms in which you're talking right now, are they based on fact or your presupposition of fact based on what you're seeing in the media? Do you have an insight with what I would call people from any level of national security that prompt you, not only for this conversation, but for your book? Well, there are two sources that I, I, I get my information from. Research, personally, and I do a lot of that. I'm, I'm a huge reader. I also have been fortunate enough to have friends that either are actively doing this type of work or have retired from it. And one of, one of the most amazing things I've found is that as folks walk away from a career, either in the military or in government employ, they don't realize until they've retired how much inside the bubble they were and how little they knew on how the rest of the population of the country viewed what's going on. Wait a minute. Are you saying that the specific person in the agency of government maybe was being told by a boss, do as I say, not as I do, more of a just focus on this and don't worry about everything else? Absolutely. Yes. You know, you, one of the things that triggered that question is the fact that you and I have friends in the CIA, the FBI, and other intelligence agencies. I'm stunned with the, the level of consistency and reality to what is considered fiction in your book to some of the re realities that exist through these in and out of these intelligence agencies today? Well, not, not to go back to the same author, although I do hold Clancy in high esteem. When he published his first book, The Hunt for Red October, the first number one bestseller that he put out, he was questioned by government agencies across the spectrum. Where did you get this information? This is top secret. How did you find this out? And it was later learned that, in fact, it was all available in the National Archives. This was all open source intelligence. And he hadn't revealed anything that was classified. 
He had simply taken information publicly available and woven a fictional story around it. And I've used a similar method. I don't claim to be as great as Clancy. I could hope to be. But it's, it's that technique of using historical fiction and real events and building a story around it with believable and relatable characters. Folks, we're talking with Peter Bolton, a novelist, a very good novelist, in fact, and he's an author of a book he's about to publish called uh, Deo Patre. And Deo Patre will be published soon. We're looking for a publisher now. If you have some insight you'd like to share with us, please reach out to us on genevalentino.com. I'm sure Peter would appreciate some insight. He's got a book that's got to run at least 400 pages, and there's there's more salacious material in there. Uh, I should say ear-catching, eye-catching information based on fact. Speaking of that, talk to me about Phil Haney. Phil Haney. Phil, Phil Haney was a an employee of the Department of Homeland Security. Was he a friend of yours? No. No, he was not a friend of mine. I never met the man. He just had an unbelievably interesting story that struck me back in the second, uh, the second term of the Obama administration is when he became more nationally known. But Phil Haney came to DHS through the Department of Agriculture. He was somebody who studied insects. And using his study of insects, he was able to find migration trends and behaviors that interestingly enough related directly to tracking terrorists. He could track ants and he applied this to tracking terrorists. Really stunning stuff. Wow. He worked at the National Targeting Center in Reston, Virginia. And he not only targeted and identified multiple Islamic radical terror networks and individual jihadis, as organizations, but also individuals as they were coming into the country. And when the, the Obama administration made the move through a, a supposed public outcry against Islamophobia, they made a decision to not only bring many of what we would consider our enemies into positions of influence in the federal government, but they also eliminated a load of investigative material and terror investigations that existed both in the CIA, FBI, and the Homeland Security databases. They simply oh erased them. Haney saw this as a problem. And out of all the whistleblowers that uh, came forward during the Obama years, I think there were eight they they weren't allowed to tell their story. They were all charged with one crime or another to prevent them from talking. Haney's the only one that actually did testify before Congress. And he talked about how wrong it was for us to be opening the door, our front and back door, to known threats simply because terrorists had constitutional rights. Okay. He testified before Congress about the, as a whistleblower, mm -hmm. about the uh, wrongdoing uh, that was going on, and what happened to him. Well, he he ended up leaving the agency after, as opposed to the wrongdoing being investigated, he was investigated. 
typical Washington DC two-step, open your mouth, you'll be the one investigated. So he ended up leaving the agency and he wrote a book. And he wrote a book, the title was, See Something, Say Nothing. Because that's what they were being taught. That's what the new, the new philosophy was at DHS. Oh, we can't, we can't violate civil rights. We can't talk, we can't identify terrorists that are known terrorists because we might be insulting their faith. So he blew the whistle on that. In 2020, right after the pandemic hit and things were really winding up here in the United States regarding the pandemic, there was a lot of confusion. Philip Haney was in the process of getting another book published, possibly getting his job back. Based, on the, new, based on the pandemic? No, based on his, his, his documentation of wrongdoing at Homeland Security and the FBI by reassigning investigators into terrorism because we happen to like certain terrorists. At least that's what the Obama administration would have you think. And the door was opening again for him to get back on board at DHS. In February, February, I believe it was the 20th of 2020, I might be wrong on that date, he was found just a couple miles from his house with a single gunshot wound to the chest. And he had written to both his fiance, who he was planning on getting married several months later, and several friends that if I'm ever found dead, I'm not suicidal. Please investigate. What year? This was 2020, in February of 2020, just as the pandemic was coming off, almost as if the pandemic was being used as a cover, an obfuscation of what looked like an assassination. Why has not the media put that out? You can pull up articles that are still available on the internet uh, regarding Phil Haney. His, his <clears throat> former fiance is currently running as a GOP candidate for Senate in the state of California, D.L. Pandall, Denise. She would support, I believe she would support what I've said here today. I've never spoken to her, but I've, I've researched her as well. And she was shaken by this, and she also does not believe the official account that he committed suicide. And that's what has gotten my attention with you, Peter, is the level of research you've done to substantiate these points. Some people getting before the press or the media come on with a level of hyperbole or vitriol, and they're ramped up about something, and three-quarters of it is untrue based on half-truths. Mm -hmm. And in your case... I've done some research on some things that you brought up with me in the living room and in your text, your initial draft, that I can't find fault with. So your research is very good. And folks, I think it's a basis. I'll be making a plug in the future in the next few minutes about his book. He has a website, Culper. No, it's not, it's, it's not a website. It's, a, it's going to be. It will be. Culper Press, C-U-L-P-E-R press.com. And if you want to write, write Peter today, let me put a plug in. His email address is culper, C-U-L-P-E-R press, P-R-E-S-S, -S, at protonmail.com. Write Peter directly and ask him to maybe give you some insight on some things of 
uh, suspicion to you as it relates to national security or the antics in and around politics in the last five years, this is a very good topic for us to pursue again in the future. You know what we're doing? We're buckshotting today and throwing about 20 topics out there that are, that are laced somehow with fiction in your book. Mm -hmm. And if the truth be known, each one of those topics is a 20-minute discussion. But we're just kind of rapid-firing through some of them today for purposes of our interview with Peter Bolton. Well, Gene, you know, there's an old saying in comedy that every comedy, every joke or routine has to have a touch of truth to make it funny. Oh, yeah. And every good work of fiction like this also has to touch on reality and be relatable to be interesting. But what you're doing is causing the public to drill down into the legitimacy of an efficacy of behavior, what's going on with the CIA, the FBI. Look, this isn't just about Obama, but Obama was orchestrating a strategy that has many tentacles to it. John Brennan, the head of the CIA, James Clapper, National Security Agency, NSA. These people were soldiers for Obama, mm -hmm. executing on Obama's wishes. It's hard for one person to do what he has done alone. But it, to me, it's a, it's a perpetration of the biggest corruption and fraud that most Americans don't see. And because of social media, because of the Internet, and because of the way we're able to get our messaging out today to folks around the nation, around the world, you're advantaged by jump-starting past the Pollyannish views of things that we live in some sort of an artificial narrative and get more to the core of, of, of what's going on in this nation, in this world. You know, that's the big change. That's the big genesis to me in the human condition is how because of the acceleration in technology, we're going to be seeing resolutions to bad government and good government happen much quicker because of the way things are going to be revealed much quicker. Mm -hmm. Talking to Peter Bolton, a novelist, an entrepreneur, a man with some hardcore insight on some of our national security issues and the stories relating to some of the leading figures of this nation, the worker bees behind the scenes, some of them in the dark, some of them very much out front, perpetrating the fraud against America. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a few minutes with Peter Bolton right after this. Hi, everybody. Gene Valentino, founder of Gene Valentino's Grassroots Truthcast. This segment is the opening segment of 11 segments to follow. The 11 segments will be each of the amendments to the Second Bill of Rights to the Constitution of the United States, which I've written as suggestions to improve the governing democracy, the democratic republic in which we live and work today. You know, the Constitution of the United States is a document written to protect the people from the overreaching government power, the overreaching government hand, and it's supposed to be able to unite people based on respect and individual liberty and freedom. It presumes that our government 
is one that succeeds that governs less, not governs more, meaning of the people, by the people, and for the people. The republic, which is why we call it a democratic republic, has more to do with the concept of a decentralized form of government. In fact, in the early days, our founding fathers reached out to the different states of the nation in just that way and asked them to sign on to this thing called the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution. And to do so, it was a way of gathering the many together of different cultures, different religions, different ways of life, and asked them to form one united America. It was a different, different, a difficult challenge, but one that worked and has worked longer and better than any other governance in this world. But over the decades, over the two centuries, and more so recently, we've seen an acceleration of dysfunction, bad behavior, deceit, treachery, and abuse of that beautiful democratic process. And for that reason, I've proposed this second Bill of Rights. This second Bill of Rights complements the first Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, and the 17 more. A total of 27 amendments to the Constitution exist today. This Bill of Rights I propose is the second Bill of Rights, 11 more amendments to the Constitution. I'd like you to sit back and join me. Take one or two of these in sequence. Obviously, you'll find them on the website, which is where you've seen this, www.genevalentino.com, the second Bill of Rights on the top tab toolbar of the website. The first one and the other 11 will follow. Stay tuned. Hi, folks, and welcome back to a, the second half of our interview with uh, Peter Bolton, a novelist, an entrepreneur, a person I'm guessing is near the same age as me with some real-life experiences. He's brought to the table his new novel he's writing, Deo Patre, God and Country, from the Latin. And he's going to be publishing that book very shortly. And we're trying to find a good publisher to do it with. So if you have a recommendation or have someone you'd like us to partner up with, we're interested in helping Peter get his book to market. This is a very interesting insight on our current condition of national security. It's our national security, but it's set against a backdrop of world events and other players from around the globe that are have no other agenda but to see America fail. We're a nation of good intentions. We're well-spirited philanthropists, and we're very benevolent by our very nation, by our very nature as as a nation. And we've allowed that woke thinking to overcome that which must come first, and that's the protection of our constitutional republic. Peter brings that into light with his book Deo Patre. And uh, absent anything else, genevalentino.com, contact us. We'll make sure Peter talks to you directly about how you might get a future copy. Uh, Peter, welcome back. I always appreciate it. We've had several conversations up to now, and every time I chat with you, uh, 
I have contacts in government and intelligence services. I'm stunned with the degree to which you are on target with some of the things you're writing about in your book, some of the documents and manuscripts you've given me to look at. And, and by the way, I owe, a, I owe a veteran administration doctor a thank you. And we'll leave it there. He's from the, he's from the region. And he, in fact, he and I never met. We were chatting on the internet together. And he, he told me, I better take a good look at this guy named Peter Bolton. And I called you directly, or you got me. And next thing you know, we've become very good friends as well. So I'm going to pick up where we left off about a compromise starting back at the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Not just with Obama, but the players around him. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the disintegration of our government since the Obama administration from your point of view. Well, that's that's a big one. Well, just talk the, about the well, some of the specific incidents. The, the Obama administration, it, it's the first administration in the history of our country where in the past, if you were called a communist or a Marxist, it was a bad thing. It was something that you, you shunned, you denied. The Obama administration brought forth appointees and people who not only voted for the Communist Party in their past, one became the director of the CIA, but were openly proud of being Marxists and communists. And that was a major seismic shift in government. But didn't we have that back during the McCarthy era where they were calling people in as communists around World War II as well? McCarthy is an interesting example because defectors from the Soviet Union who came to the United States and gave us volumes of information on the activities of the KGB, as well as after the fall of the Soviet Union and the the Berlin Wall coming down, the files we obtained in Eastern Germany confirmed exactly what Joe McCarthy was accusing people of. We were infiltrated throughout the Truman administration. We had been infiltrated post-World War II because Russia was an ally, and we allowed people in. This is different, though. There, there's Even at that time, being a communist was a bad thing. There was the Red Scare going on. And you didn't want to be labeled a communist. And his accusational finger was pointing at people. And there were denials. There were some people that said I was proud of that. But for the most part, they weren't in the president's cabinet. In the Obama administration, all of that changed. You are correct. It seems that in the more recent administration, uh, uh, Biden's administration back to Barack, uh, the cast of characters around the president were either of a Marxist-leaning philosophy, funded by George Soros, supported supporting a philosophy which didn't care about the extension of our debt, the disinterest in protecting the American dollar as it sits against other currencies in the world. And so what has happened that has caused in your opinion, where is the breakdown? Is it at the presidential level or is it at the um, subordinate level perpetrating these maybe deep state conspiracies that maybe the president didn't know about? Which is it? Which president? Well, we'll start with Obama. 
uh, Obama was very aware of what he was doing. The public was not. His objectives were clearly laid out. He was a radical. He was somebody who had been trained in Marxism throughout his career, and he wanted to push the United States towards that. There, there, there are key elements, the three major key elements in pushing a society or a country towards Marxism would be to one, control the media, two, control their health care, and three, disarm the population. Disarming them eliminates a threat. Controlling their health care controls virtually everything in their life. Mm -hmm. And controlling the media, that's obvious. Controlling the media, I'll give you an example. There was a, a reporter who a London office <clears throat> had a friend who was in the Moscow office. This was back in the 70s. And the, Ameri the, the Russian newspaper, the national paper, is called Pravda. Pravda translates to the truth. Really? And he had, <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, being a government public publication in, in communist Russia, the truth is what we say it is, and you must accept it. So he was asked the question, he said, how do the people in, in Moscow and in Russia view Pravda? And he said, well, they, they all know it's lies, and they know they're lying to them, and the ones lying to them know they know they're lying to them. But that's not the point. The point is they're impressing on them, we're lying to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a very similar approach that Barack Obama took. Just deny. That's all you had to do. We're not investigating conservative groups. We're not pulling IRS records. We're not disallowing 501Cs to raise money for my opponents you can politically. Keep your, you can keep your own doctor. Well, that, that was the massive scam on Obamacare, <laughs> yes. Um, but lying's no big deal. And, and with a complicit media, they'll perpetuate the lie to you, and anybody who raises objections is labeled a conspiracy theorist. And, you know, over the last couple of years, every conspiracy we see ends up being true, so it's no longer theory. What, tell me about a doctor by the name of Dr. Ramon, Ramon Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> That's a character in our book. <laughs> a number of my characters can be directly related to real people but some of them are composites of multiple people. And Dr. Ramon is a, a truth seeker who, he assists my direct action intelligence team in unraveling some of the things regarding the COVID pandemic, the vaccine produced to fight it, and the involvement of the World Economic Forum in it. The World Economic Forum is not mentioned in my book. They're a different entity. I'm very careful about not going directly at people. They're liability issues, and I don't want to get into that. But it's, it becomes an understandable scenario where you can say, oh, Dr. Ramon, there's somebody that sounds a lot like that that's out there for fighting for truth and justice in medicine as well. And many of my characters are built like that. They're composites of real figures to tell the story that I'm trying to tell. I can't help but understand how the transition seems so clear. They were outsiders like McCarthy, not welcomed into Congress and challenged. 
now a, de a generation later becoming in Congress or in the offices of government or appointees. And then we move to Trump and then we move to Biden. Has Obama's perpetration of a deep state philosophy continued, in your opinion, under Biden? Oh, absolutely. In, what, in what ways? Uh, the, the regulatory state is a state that, that has far more power than we really understand. And only recently has it been challenged. It's been challenged both at the ATF alcohol, tobacco, and firearms level regarding the Second Amendment and the Bruin case, which went to the Supreme Court and declared that the Second Amendment is a right that you cannot take away from the citizens. And then there was a case of the EPA versus West Virginia that also went to the Supreme Court. And the decision there, it said agencies don't have the power to make law. And if agency regulations and rules have the full force and impact, including the ability to fine and imprison people for violating a regulation or rule, you don't have that authority. That's left to Congress. That was decided by the Supreme Court recently. So all of these agencies cannot do what they've done for decades, and that is make up the rules and call them laws. Stepping back just briefly for a second, footnote on that point. As you look at our, our country today and our operation in government, do you see that the third leg of the stool, our uh, Justice Department, has held the line to put some sobriety into some of the overzealous behavior of these agencies of government who did enact their own rules, penalties, and, and, and try to enforce law without the blessing of Congress? No. You don't see the Justice Department doing that? I don't see the Justice Department being a friend of the United States citizen. And there's a history of the Justice Department not being just. Does that come out in your book? Some of it does, yes. But we'll, we'll take Barack Obama's well-known Attorney General, Eric Holder. Few people can tell you what Eric Holder did just before he was appointed Attorney General. He was a pro bono defender of Guantanamo Bay terrorists. Then was appointed by Obama and confirmed as our attorney general. So you had a guy defending the terrorists that attacked us on 9-11. All of a sudden, hope and change came into office in 2009. And the first person he appoints to AG is the same guy that's defending the terrorists that attacked us. Time out. Patriot Act. Mm -hmm. Obama's era, right after Bush. What did Obama do to perverse the Patriot Act? Well, the Patriot Act, it, it took away a lot of privacy rights so that we had an ability to spy. On our adversaries, our foreign and And on ourselves. And on ourselves. Because if you were arrested, whether you're a U.S. citizen or not, as a Patriot Act violator, you lost your constitutional rights. And there was a good, a good amount of support for it at that time because we needed a sledgehammer to, to drive the tack now, okay? Yeah, no good deed goes unpunished because the FISA came out of the Patriot Act. Well, and, and look what happened with the abuse of, FI, of FISA warrants. Well, that, that's, that's what, what could have been predictably foreseen when the Patriot Act became law 
there were going to be abuses. It's inevitable. Bureaucrats use the powers given to them by us. So as we progress through that, you see that throughout the Bush years, we primarily focused overseas. We tried to focus on terrorism coming into the U.S. and, and stop it. But when Barack Obama took office, he turned those capabilities inward. And we began looking for, for, for people to assign crimes to, as opposed to solving crimes to find the people who committed them. Joe Biden's taken it to a whole nother step, and he has turned it against his political opponents. So it went from our enemies, originally, to being turned against us, domestically, to now under Joe Biden being turned against Donald Trump and any other political enemy. He's using his Justice Department, and he's using the IRS, and he's using all the agencies of the federal government to defend his position, his reelection, and defeat his political opponents. And I resent the fact that our government has no constitutional amendment that puts the pressure on each individual appointee and elected official of our government to be accountable to us so that when they perpetrate these frauds on behalf of the president, the FBI director, the CIA director, the Department of Justice, Homeland Security, I could go on, when they violate the law and then lie to us in our faces and they think they get away with murder because the president was going to pardon them anyway is to me the biggest perpetration of a shortcoming of our government. Not only must that individual suffer some personal consequences for lying to the American people, but the person who told him to do it needs to suffer the consequences of it as well. That I propose through the special magistrate system that's listed under the second Bill of Rights, which you'll find on www.genevalentino.com. And you look up one of the 11 articles, the, the second Bill of Rights, I call it, are 11 more amendments to the Constitution. And one of them in there is a description of what's called the special the Supreme Magistrates. And the Supreme Magistrates are not another leg of government, not more government. I want less government, not more government. But the Supreme Magistrates impose the penalties on the wrongdoers in government themselves. Conflicts of interest, side dealing, everything that's related to the injustice and self-serving that makes a $100,000 a year person in government 10 years later worth $10 million. How does that happen? Uh, it's because of the side dealing and the perpetrations of fraud that occur and the cooperation given to uh, the cast of characters in, who have a hidden agenda from a deep state source type of mentality that can afford to pay you to execute a position against people uh, or situations just like Letitia James is doing the prosecutor in New York against Donald Trump right now. How am I doing? You're you're on point. Is you're it, on point. I anything mean, like that in your book? Yes. Uh, to and, the extent you want to talk about it, I don't want to give the book away, but I want to. I want enough people to write us or call us to and tease you to get get in touch with Peter here because this book is phenomenal. 
and I'd like to see him get it out there, a New York Times bestseller, without having to worry about the New York Times. Well, the, the story is around some richly developed characters who are, are members of an intelligence and direct action unit. It's called, as a nickname, the SAGE Group. It's the Open Source Intelligence Analysis Group. Kind of, kind of benign as far as the name goes. But they're unknown within the military or intelligence community other than one element of JSON that they work with. That's Joint Special Operations Command. And this is a counterterrorism direct action unit that takes things into their own hands to solve things that the government is allowing to happen that shouldn't. Is this an agency of government? It is an agency of government but it is a special access program that only a limited number of people, two senators, one who dies during the course of the novel, know about. So there's only one senator left from the original committee that gave them their charter who knows of their existence. And Fact, fact or fiction? <coughs> this is fiction. This is all fiction. Okay. Okay, but you gotta, you got to write a compelling story to draw somebody in. And... You know, from a fiction perspective, this agency is funded through a black budget. Their, their, their name, the Open Source Intelligence Analysis Group, is a cover. And what they do is right wrongs. They, they're the white hats that most people in the United States now don't think exist anymore. Everybody looks to the government as being evil. Well, how could anybody in government now allow such an entity to exist? By not knowing it's there. Well, it's got to be under someone's authority, control, and someone's budget. No, it doesn't. So there, there, is this fact or fiction? Oh, this, this, this part of it is fiction. But something that, that I found very interesting, I didn't know. Joint Special Operations Command itself... That's where you have your SEAL Team 6, Delta Force, 75th Rangers Regiment, the Intelligence Support Activity, uh, the 24th Special Tactics Squadron from the Air Force. These are all elements, the most highly trained operators in the world. And I didn't know until I talked to some of these guys, they don't get paid by the Army. They don't get paid by the Navy. SEAL Team 6 doesn't get paid by the Navy. Delta doesn't get paid by the Army. They get paid by JSOC's black budget. There's a million ways to Sunday, as Adam Schiff or Chuck Schumer once said, that they can screw with you if you screw with the intelligence agencies. But there's also a million ways to hide large sums of money within black budgets in the government. So they so do my, exist today. My concept is not far-fetched at all, nice. but it is a fictitious entity. There's about 300 of them in the federal government as we speak. Folks, we're talking with Peter Bolton. He's an entrepreneur, a businessman, came out of the insurance agency, came, was in New England and New Jersey, moved south to the Florida, specifically Pensacola. Pensacola. The West, as Vince Wibbs, our auto dealer here in town, once said, welcome to Pensacola, western gate to the Sunshine State. 
where thousands live the way millions wish we could. Shh, don't tell anybody. We're going to keep this between <laughs> us. <laughs> this is a really a, a wonderful place we live in here. The taxes are right. The economy's right. The friendships are great. And you know what I noticed? This red state and this way of life, everyone's smiling. Everyone's a little happier. Interest rates just went up today. Uh, Biden's polls are at an all-time low. But everyone, for some reason, is just decent and happy with each other. It reflects an American spirit that I'm so proud of, that I think we've lost in certain blue states in this nation. The blue states, the states that were demanding we defund the police. Where are these immigrants now? And what are they doing to those politicians? They're forcing those politicians to demand money from the federal government, the same impotent federal government that was unable to, to do anything for you about uh, defunding the police. And uh, the Black Lives Matter group and the uh, disenfranchisement of uh, your voice at public meetings, your voice and your right to free speech. Thank God for the internet and social media, while some of it controls us and also demand, quashes our ability to be truly open and transparent. There are some platforms out there still today that allow you to get uh, the message out. Now, we talked about the pharmaceuticals before. There's one or two platforms I'm not going to mention that would probably put the kibosh on this broadcast because of that. My goal is to make sure that a book like his reveals those shortcomings to you to convince the new wave of elected officials to come in and right the wrong on public speech. You know, Peter, just to digress a second, it's mm -hmm. not a digression, it's really a, a fact. I used to be the owner of Cellular One, a cellular phone company for most of the Central Valley of California. It was a network nationwide, but I was president for a region in California. And I had the right to own a utility and become the owner of a telephone company because the federal government stepped in and said, hey, AT&T, you've got way too much of a monopoly and control here. Mm -hmm. We've got to dilute your authority and control and give it back to the people. That's what needs to happen here again. The question is, do we have an elected branch of government that will legislate it? Or must it appear in court just like it did before Judge Green back in the 1980s to break up Ma Bell, AT&T, to all of the baby bells that existed around the nation? A topic on face is unrelated to everything we're talking about, Peter, but it's not. It's the overreach of government controlling your way of life. The good intentions of government through the Patriot Act you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that put the kibosh on foreign adversaries and was supposed to go after dissidents within the nation to stop wrongdoing that led up, that, that led up to the 9-11 attack. But what happened with bad players in government is we saw a transition of the use of that power to nefarious purpose where they are in, in intrusion into your privacy, into your way of life, economically and otherwise, became, became a, 
a, a deep state perversion, a cult of bad behavior that is affecting now and drawing closer to the reality a socialistic Marxist way of life. And guys like Peter Bolton writing a book hopefully reveals some of these intelligence shortcomings that cause you to step up to make sure the next elected official kicks ass and writes this wrong on our nation's government. What do you say to that? Well, that's a lot to digest. <laughs> it is. But your, your analogy to the TNT and the baby bells, we already have that in the Constitution. It's called Washington, D.C. and the 50 individual states. They weren't 50 at the time it was written. But the Constitution says that whatever is not constitutionally assigned to the federal government to do on behalf of the citizens is left to be done or decided by the states. Very good. We've already broken it up. It's just not being adhered to. Let me hit you with another idea. It may be another book, but it, it's an interesting idea. We'd look at tens of thousands of people crossing the border every week. Mm -hmm. We look at millions, 12 to 14 million is a number I've heard about illegal immigrants now in the nation that have penetrated the far reaches of our country. We look at a system that's broken because the local states can't handle it, though. It's a give and take, isn't it? You just said the Constitution has it, the power residing in the states for a reason until they can't handle it then they whine and come back to the federal government to solve the problem. In this case, the, the states can't handle what they asked for. They wanted to be sanctuary cities, and they can't handle it. Help me out, Uncle Sam. I need help because I, I made a pretty strong pitch about it, wanting to be a nice guy. We couldn't handle 43 people in Martha's Vineyard, and we had to whine and cry and deport them. And now we're expecting the federal government to solve the problem. And guys like Kevin McCarthy, working against this tsunami of insanity, gets ousted fairly or unfairly, was making headway at least in trying to get some things done to save this nation. Some, not all of his amendments were going through. To me, brings into balance, brings into merit the, 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 this to me, when I read your book, it's like, these are the thoughts in the background in my brain going on. How does your book stir the pot with the citizenry to cause them to step up and want to make some dynamic changes in this nation? We've got about two minutes left. How would you, how would you think this book will help our nation? Well, you, you hit on the federal government and the states not liking what they've asked for, and now they're getting it full face and they're not happy. It's the federal government's responsibility to defend our borders, not the states. Correct. They, they've failed us there. Correct. We are not a country without borders. And border enforcement, no country in the world manages their borders the way President Biden is right now, which is not managing them at all. But my book, the story, I, I, I think I said it before, but we're so pissed off with the way things are, and we're so upset with the way we're seeing the government being managed from D.C. and, and locally. People need hope. People need to know there are some good guys out there. People need to know there are white hats. There, there's uh, you know, somebody on a white horse that's willing to come to your rescue. Somebody's making that effort. And I think 
the, not Obama's hope and change, because that would be hope we can change things for the worse. I'm talking about hope that they're not all evil in D.C. and somebody's still on our side, the American citizen. What's it going to take? I hear your next book might have something to do with revenge, retribution. Well, these, we need to retaliate against this force these, that's building, though. There's a force building, though. These these are parts of fictional storylines. And I, I mentioned Clancy. I mentioned Mishner. But if you've ever read Vince Flynn or Jack Carr, there's direct action. There's blood. People get killed. It's exciting stuff. And when you're wronged, oftentimes revenge is what's required. And that's what makes a great story, makes it exciting. It makes folks want to turn the page, and when you're done, buy the next in the series. And that's what I'm hoping for. The next in the series is interesting. This series is called Deo e Patre, of God and Country. The author to my right, Peter Bolton from Pensacola, Florida. Let's help him get this published nationwide. We may try to do something on the website where we just order online the heck with these publishers who knows what they're all about but let's get find a marketing effort to get your book out worldwide as soon as possible you up for that absolutely hey before i go wide shot here david what do you think of my new shoes here huh <laughs> they look like somebody named mike made them a guy by the name of mike made them these are uh, my wife handed these to me just before the show <laughs> these are my pillow slippers now i wasn't sure what i was getting myself into but I love these slippers. <laughs> they are comfortable as hell, as long as they're below the shot, so I don't take away from the content of this show. <laughs> My Pillow is a great company. They're going to be uh, sponsoring with us, and I'm proud to be uh, promoting their product. It's really very good. We we use their products, and um, more on My Pillow coming up. But um, <laughs> Mike Lindell has risked everything to do the right thing, and I respect the man for it. Hey. That ties in perfectly to our theme today. There's a guy who stood up yep. and defend America. Put and he his, had the dark state. He had the deep state command. All of it on the line. And he, he got pulled over. He got his cell phone taken from him. He got uh, nixed by some people that are trying to take him down. And he's still holding strong. God bless you, Mike. Michael Lindell from My Pillow. We'll talk more about him in the upcoming episodes and proud to be a sponsor of his uh, sponsoring his products. Uh, any final thoughts? Thank you very much for giving me a platform to speak about my work and hopefully get this project off the ground. Deo e Patre by Peter Bolton. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to get this you, book Jim. out. We got to get this book out. This book's good. It's a reflection of reality, but not necessarily correlated with reality. Thank you. Is that is that a good way of saying it? That's a good way of saying it. Okay. Thank you for being with, with us today. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today on another episode of Gene Valentino's Grassroots Truthcast. See you again soon. Thanks for joining us for Gene Valentino's Grassroots Truthcast. Be sure to like and subscribe, and God bless America.